0: Hello, listeners. Back to school season's coming up, which we know can be difficult for those going through a divorce. And this is especially true when alcohol and child safety is a concern. You know that on Divorce & Beyond, my mission includes bringing you the latest insider knowledge and information from top experts with regard to your divorce, especially during these changing times. That's why I've partnered with Soberlink to help create and offer resources to help you navigate the upcoming back-to-school season. Soberlink is a remote alcohol monitoring technology which was created to help prove sobriety in custody cases. The system includes a high-tech breathalyzer device with facial recognition that allows you to receive real-time updates from monitored co-parents anytime, anywhere allowing for swift intervention for improved child safety. They've helped hundreds of thousands of people document proof of sobriety in real time for peace of mind in child custody cases. Soberlink is currently offering free back to school and divorce packets that include an expert Q&A with me, back to school checklist, communication tips, and more. You can request your free packet today at www.soberlink.com backslash Susan. Hello and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond Podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, We're back with part two of the most memorable cases, where our favorite divorce and beyond experts and guests share their most memorable cases or clients and some tips and insights they learned from those situations. If you haven't listened to part one, go back to Monday's episode to get caught up and then listen on for some more cases from Tracy Malone, Kate Anthony, Evan Shine, and more of your favorites. I even share my most memorable case at the end of the episode too. Joined by our guest, Deborah Doak. Deborah was with me uh, not that long ago, right? Deborah, with Tracy Callahan, one of your co founders of the Divorce Coaches Academy. And you guys did that really popular episode on how to find the coach you need to succeed in your divorce. It's been a really, really helpful episode. Lots of great feedback. Uh, because, as you know, a huge fan of divorce coaches, but people need to know more about what coaches do and how to find a good one. So
1: that was a great episode. Thank you. Awesome. So excited to do that with you.
0: Yeah, well, and I want people to know you you are a certified divorce coach, but you're also a CDFA, you're a mediator yourself. Mm-hmm. You are the author and survivor of A High Conflict Divorce Yourself, but author of High Conflict Divorce for Women. Um, So you work with clients in a variety of different ways. So I'm not sure which field your most memorable case comes from, but why don't you share with us your most memorable case?
1: My most memorable case. So I do all those things really all in um, under the umbrella of divorce coaching. That's really where I sit. That's really where I think we can have the most impact is at the individual level, right? Yeah. Um, And so I was working with a client. We were going over financials. We were doing the rest of the settlement. There weren't children involved. We were getting through most of that pretty well. And then we came to a screeching halt. When it came to pet custody. Oh yeah. Pet custody. Pet custody. So slowly, but surely we got the custody worked out and then it fell apart because they could not agree on who would take the dog to the groomer. Now I am not uh, necessarily a dog person and I certainly don't understand the different ways you can get your dog groomed. But I guess this was a standard poodle. And I think there's a a floofy way you can get them groomed where their paws have like the big fluffy balls on their near their. Yeah. And their tail can be all poofy. And then there's a way you can get them groomed that is more streamlined.
0: Yes. My uncle had a standard poodle. So I have this very, very vividly in my mind.
1: Okay. (laughs) So one of them was very attached to the floofy. Form of grooming and one was more attached to the streamlined, and they were arguing. This was months of mediation, attorneys involved. I'm going to guesstimate they spent $20,000 arguing over floofy versus streamlined grooming of this pet. This was where we got stuck. Now, this was a high net worth case. We had no trouble with the 401k. With spousal support. I'm not saying we had no trouble, right? Right, but you got them done. <laughs> we got got her done. Um, yeah. but when it came to how to groom the poodle, we got stuck. And it was just, it was one of those cases where you just shook your head. And what was the final outcome in agreement? Same thing we always get. You're going to alternate. The poodle needed to get groomed every six weeks. And so what happened? One time when it was grooming, the poodle got floofy. And the next time the poodle went to the groomer, it got streamlined and they took turns. Wow. What a concept, a compromise, a $20,000 compromise, $20,000 compromise, because sometimes you get what you want in divorce and sometimes you don't. And the real lesson I think here is often one party comes in thinking they know what's best. And that just isn't the case. That's your opinion. And the other party is allowed to have an opinion. And that's true whether we're talking about human children or fur babies.
0: Yeah, I've had cases with the fur babies. And as a dog person myself, I get it. But in the end, let's just think for a minute. Do you think the dog cared whether he had floof or streamlined, <laughs> right? It becomes, right. I always say to people, the most expensive words in divorce are, it's the principle. It's yeah. the principle of the thing. I think, you know, it's a standard poodle and therefore it should have a standard poodle cut. Right. Um, you know, and, and yeah. it doesn't matter if you're a high net worth case or mm-hmm. a more average financial case or right, you know right. people who are having a hard time making ends meet. That's yeah. wasted money, wasted effort. It, wasted days
1: of your life you won't get yes. back. Wasted emotional turmoil, right? How many extra bottles of wine did you have to buy or go out with your girlfriends, right? To bitch about this. It's just it co- the cost is so high to do that. You know, the other option is get your own poodle. Yeah. Cut <laughs> it kind of floofy every time you want to.
0: It's as many have as many dogs as you want. Uh, right? you know, another thing that strikes me though, because you mentioned that they had worked through many of the other issues already. Yeah. And I'm wondering, was it one of the last issues that they needed to get through?
1: It was one of the last issues they needed to get to get through. And so it's it's also perhaps. I'm not quite ready to be done, right?
0: That's what I was wondering. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And and that's what we see as professionals very often. mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. When I agree on this, I'll be divorced. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the last bastion of. uh, Maybe I need to.
0: Maybe I need to draw a line here and drag this out longer. And I think if you mm-hmm. talk to divorce attorneys and professionals in all different fields, you will right. find that it is a very common phenomenon mm-hmm. that whatever that last issue might be. And it's usually right. a smaller thing. It's usually something that isn't one of the major issues, but it becomes the line in the sand. for. Yes.
1: And I think they're exhausted by what they feel they've already given up. Given up. Right. And so this is the one thing I'm not going to give on. Yeah. I already negotiated spousal support. I negotiated parenting time. I gave up on everything else I wanted and this. Mm-mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The no hands, way. I love the hands on the fist because, or the the, yeah. the hands on mm-hmm. the hips. Um, and I, you know what I would say, cause I've been in the room with a client in that position and I've been the mediator in the room with, with people in that position. Yeah. And I would always say, You know, it's very easy to see what you've given up, but take a moment, take a deep breath and also consider what you've gained and where your partner in this process has given, because likely that's what they're seeing as well. And Mm -hmm. always keep in mind that being done and your peace of mind is worth an awful lot.
1: It's worth an awful lot. Yes. Even if your dog is floofy. (laughs) <laughs> Even if your dog is floofy, right? But what could next Wednesday look like for you if this were done? Yeah. If this were finished? What could next Saturday be like if you weren't if you didn't have another mediation session? If you didn't have another attorney bill? What could that feeling be like for you? Yeah. If this were but done.
0: As as you know, I'm obsessed with the beyond. That's yes. it. Like, what if you're beyond could start next Correct. week? Right, this could be done.
1: Mm-hmm. And you know, that's one of the things we work on in in coaching a lot because when people have been in that acrimonious marriage, right, really unhappy marriage, and then they're in the conflict of negotiating a divorce, I say you're wearing gray glasses, and it's really hard for you to envision what that life could be like. And so, I spend time with clients dreaming about as part of like when we're working on their budget and the priorities of what they want in their settlement. It's also like, well, what do you want your day to look like? Yeah. Where are you going to wake up? What are you going to do in the morning? What kind of coffee mug are you going to drink out of? Like how can we start to dream about the beyond? There you go. Mine says
0: positively, positivity, please. My coffee mug. Positivity,
1: please. Yes. But you know, start to think about your life is not always going to be this. You're going through the, the temporary hard, right. So that you can get to peace and your own choices. You can have, uh, you know, pink giraffe bed sheets If you want, you can have, right. You don't have to have sports posters in your den. You could have flowers like you have right. on your wall. What What's this going to look like for you? And try to get them to make that pivot. So think of the
0: power of that. And I think that's one of the great takeaways from this is yeah. often if, if you're feeling like it's come down to a pinpoint vision, open your eyes up to that mm-hmm. future. And I love your, your tip there. Really paint that picture. In your mind, not just of these big and lofty, oh, I'll be able to do, I can go on vacation whenever I want or this, but what does your day look like
1: in your beyond? Paint your that beyond. first day and get there. It's beautiful. Right. That first day, or what's that, what's that one thing you're going to buy for your new place that he would have hated right. and complained about? Not a Barka lounger. I can guarantee it, ladies. (laughs) Not a Barka lounger and not a picture of the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm I'm in Ohio. Yes. Um, Right. What's the thing you're going to buy that he would have hated? And you can just put that crap up with abandon.
0: (laughs) I love it. Well, perfect takeaway. And I can see why it's a memorable case for you, Deborah. For listeners, what's the best way to get in touch with you?
1: My website, which is my name. Debra, D-E-B-R-A, dope, dot com. Okay. And that'll all, all of your information
0: will be in the show notes, everyone, but thanks for coming back, Debra. I love it. So fun. Well, now I'm joined by former guest, a rock star family law attorney in New York, Evan Shine, also the host of the Shine On podcast. Evan, it's so nice to see you. Thank you.
2: Susan, it's great to be with you.
0: I was just telling Evan that his prior episode, Everything You Need to Know About Depositions, is one of the most popular episodes. And on the YouTube channel, he's a YouTube star for Divorce and Beyond because his episode, I think, is the number three episode of all time. And people love that video. There's all kinds of, of help. So if for those who haven't had a chance to listen, Evan really sat down with me that day and talked to me about depositions and sort of prepped the listener as he would prep his own client for a deposition. And, you know, that's the type of invaluable assistance that you need um, if you're going into that situation or a deposition is in your future. So go back and listen to it. But I'm thrilled and very excited, Evan. My, My attorney colleagues have had some really memorable cases that they've been sharing, and I can only imagine that yours is as well. So I'm looking forward to hearing it.
2: And Susan, even thinking about this, this was it was fun for me to sort of take a trip down, you know, memory lane. And obviously, I've had you know thousands of you know divorce cases over the years. But one of the cases that stands out to me, probably, I just started practicing. I was six months into the practice, and I found myself practicing family law, practicing divorce law. And I'm trying to figure out what that really meant. I'm trying to figure out you know, what it looks like. I'm trying to figure out, you know, what this is all about. And I'll never forget one of the cases I had um, that always sticks with me. It it taught me so many things. And and when I go back in time and think about it, I represented a woman and she, there were no kids and she was in her early fifties and 27, 28 year marriage. And her husband came home and she thought she had the perfect marriage. She thought everything was fantastic, the trips, the vacation. She thought that everything was as picture perfect as you can imagine. And her husband came home one day and broke her heart, told her, blindsided her, that she that he wanted to separate, that he wanted to get divorced. He was having an affair, uh, someone 20 years younger, somebody he worked with, and she was crushed and she was devastated. She gave up her career She wanted to have kids. Her husband did not. And she sacrificed so much for him, so much for the relationship, so much for the marriage. And one of the reasons the case sticks with me, even to this day, is because for me, it wasn't the financial piece of the case. It wasn't the business. It wasn't the complex valuations. It was really about what it taught me as a practitioner, the emotional side of divorce. This was someone who was absolutely devastated, absolutely crushed by learning that her husband for 27, 28 years wanted to separate at this point in life. And so as an attorney, I realized very soon into practicing that there's a whole nother layer to this. And in fact, what we do as divorce attorneys is probably much more of that understanding the psychology, understanding the emotional impact and one of the lessons I learned from this was, you know, treat your clients the way if you had a family member, a brother, a sister, a parent, if your family member was going through divorce, how would you want them to be represented? And so one of the things that I've, I've always prided myself in is, is communication, getting in touch with your clients, communicating, responding. You know, we have a firm philosophy, which is there's no phone call, no email that goes unresponded to, or a phone call that doesn't get returned because you're dealing with people and their lives. And this is, it's, it's an incredibly important work and people's lives are turned upside down. And that's something that from six months, you know, out from, you know, starting to practice up until this day, you know, it's something that never, you know, never leaves my mind.
0: Wow. You know, it says a lot about you as a practitioner that that is the case that sticks out for you. And, you know, for listeners, I think it's such a valuable point because When you hear marriage, no children, many lawyers' minds will just go to, oh, well, then it's a simple financial unraveling, right? All we need to do is figure out the money and these two people can go on with their lives. And you very aptly described what can, I mean, I imagine was grief and and you know utter devastation for your client from an emotional aspect think of all the things that you mentioned right you know she had given up her career she had wanted to have children but did not i mean those are those are things that are somewhat unalterable Um, and cannot be compensated financially in a divorce, right? They're they're just not things that you make up for, but they're things that your clients have to deal with. So I love your firm policy. I wish every firm out there had a policy like that. It's I think the number one complaint about attorneys is that they don't get back to their clients. So your clients clearly don't have that problem.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That was, you're right. It was grief. It was traumatic. It was just such an emotional experience. And I really learned that. You know, you have obviously, you're dividing assets, right? You're dealing with alimony, you're dealing with property, but you're really dealing with the emotional and psychological part of this, which is so much of what someone's going through and, and your clients, you know, put so much trust in you as an attorney to help guide them through probably the most challenging time in their life. And there's so much trust that a client gives you. And that's something that I think, you know, for all attorneys, it's something that People should be aware of and take extremely seriously when deciding, you know, the type of practice that you want to have and, you know, how you practice on a daily basis. But, you know, I firmly believe that phone calls, emails uh, should be responded to, whether it's days, nights, weekends. I think you're dealing with people in their lives. And if I had a family member going through a divorce, I would want them to be treated the exact same way.
0: Right. Well, and I just, I, I love, again, I think it says quite a bit about you and who you are as a practitioner, but also as a person. Um, and that's what, you know, somebody said to me a while ago, but I still remember it was that family with law, lawyers, it's kind of law light. Like we're lawyers, kind of, you know, we're more like therapists, we're handholders. And I think you just beautifully described the weight of what is on a family law attorney's shoulders when they are trying to help a client go through and navigate the divorce process. Yes, we have to be capable and skilled um, in helping them untangle their finances, but we also have to remember what they are going through and the drama for them or the trauma really for them. Um, there's nothing light about it, folks. <laughs> it's a, it's, I've always said, it's a tough way to make a living. Um, but y- you can honestly feel like you're helping people. And I know that you do every day.
2: And yeah, no, I appreciate it. And, and, and there's things, you know, whether it's empathy, whether it's, you know, realizing that you know, people's worlds and people's lives are, are, are just changed forever. And a lot of times it is for the better, but in that moment, trying to talk to a client and you know help someone understand that you know what things will be okay. It's just going to take a little bit of time. It is a very hard thing, and I think over the years, you know, obviously this is all I do and and, and you know my area of focus. You learn, you grow, you adapt, and you really appreciate what people are going through because people really are going from devastating time hopefully a better place. And your part of your job, you know, you know, my thought is to help people get there, to help people get to a place that is better, that, you know, get people to a place where, you know, the past is obviously behind them in many respects and that they're moving on to, you know, better things. And sure, things are going to be different. The family structure is going to be, you know, different, but it's it's really getting people from where they are now, which is at a very, very sad, very uh, you know, low point, given everything that's happening, to a much better place.
0: Yeah. Well, whole point that the the podcast is divorce and beyond, right? We're, <laughs> we're there to get them to their beyond. Most of the time we're lucky enough to hear back from clients um, that their beyond is better. Um, but when we're dealing with them, they're in the divorce. They're in the moment. They're in that time. So Evan, for people who'd like to reach out to you, what's the best way to do
3: that?
2: Susan, I appreciate it. This was a lot of fun and people can get in touch. Our website is Burkbot berkbo My email is E-Shine, my last name, E-S-C-H-E-I-N at brookbot.com. Again, this was fantastic. So thank you.
0: Well, and don't forget to go listen to the Shine On podcast as well. I've been on there. And Evan's going to be coming back soon. We're going to be doing a deep dive into the legal side of alimony. So stay tuned for that. And Evan, thank you so much. Your memorable case is memorable for some really good reasons.
2: Susan, this was great. Thank you.
0: So now we're, we are joined by Karen Millen. You guys remember Karen. She was the wonderful podcast episode on It's Never Too Early to Start Healing. Her podcast is the healing, wait, healing with Karen healing, healing healing podcast, podcast, but it's no G on healing people. (laughs) So, um, and it's, uh, she also has her wonderful book, the, an amazing divorce. And so go back and listen to the episode, you know, I'll have a link to it, but Karen, I have to say, I'm actually really interested to hear your memorable story because you work with people in so many different modalities to help with their healing. It'll be interesting, at least for me, I know my listeners as well to hear what really stood out to you as a memorable case or client. So thanks for joining us.
4: Thank you for having me, Susan. It's such a pleasure to work with you and to be included in your amazing efforts to demystify divorce and help people through such a hard stage. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I couldn't do it without you. So thank you. Thank you.
4: Thank you. Yeah, so I was thinking there's two Very, very memorable clients. One of them, I recorded an episode at the Healing Podcast. So I encourage people to listen to that. But it was someone who was completely devastated, couldn't even speak, full of grief, blaming herself for the divorce. I ruined this. This was my fault. I should have done this. I should have done that. So really through about, I think, eight sessions, really understanding why why was it her fault? And why was it not her fault? And, and coming to that realization and working through each and every thought allowed her to thrive and become a coach herself. But my most recent and most memorable um, client, Susan, was uh, an older woman, 65, empty nester. Kids had just left college. Um, I got her referred by a lawyer in Vancouver. And the case wasn't moving forward at all. Six months have gone by, and she just couldn't make any decision at all, not about whether to sell the matrimonial home or the Whistler uh, ski chalet or any decision. I said, hey, I hope you can help. And we dissected again each and every thought and belief, you know, and we challenged them, we questioned them, and it was, again, guilt and not being worthy and not being capable and so a lot of the things that came out and that I, she reminded me of the most memorable case, but it's a lot of what I work with, with divorced women, which is, is my fault. You know, they blame me that we nagged them to death and that we didn't cook well and that, you know, they never ate our meals or that they had a shopping issue or that, you know a lot with assets when the man was working and they had stayed home. So it was like, you know, it was this family property he inherited. How am I going to keep 50% of it? A lot of guilt and a lot of lack of worthiness. So we go each and every single thought, you know, why was it your fault? Again, why wasn't it your fault? Uh, Why are you not capable? And he's like, well, I haven't managed finances. I haven't ran a business before. I don't know what I'm going to do with this money. To why are you capable? When was the last time you managed money? And they're like, oh, yeah, wait. Before I got married, I started a business. I had paid my own home. I had managed my own money. I said, well, you know, can we get that strength to kind of do it again? Wow, yes, I can do it. Or um, not being worthy not being worthy of the assets, not being worthy of what they were getting, not being worthy. You know, I had a, this client was like, you know, so what was your thought? And it's like, that I'm a piece of shit. I'm like, Oh no, what do you mean? It's like, if he left me, it's because I'm unworthy. And I'm like, okay, so why, why are you unworthy? And I remember speaking to her, if she ever listens to this episode, I'm not going to say that again, It just can't come out of my mouth, but why do you feel that way? And again, all of this very petty things, like, because I wanted to take my kids to church because I didn't, you know, the whole cooking thing comes up a lot. Yeah. Why were you worthy? And Susan, it takes a while, you know, a bit, a big pause. So, I mean, it breaks my heart, sort of the self-esteem and the worthiness that after being married in an abusive marriage or an unloving marriage can do to us. And so why are you worthy? And a lot of the times I'm putting words in their mouth because I'm kind, because I'm a good mother, because I took all these kids to all the activities, because I was there when they were sick, because I didn't beat them, because I tried my best. That's good. Yeah,
0: that's a good one. (laughs)
4: Because I was loyal. I never cheated. I, you know, I planned the parties. I'm like, so why are you worthy of this home? Because I helped decorate it, because I cooked in it, because I raised our children there, because I held parties, because I chose you know, it was home, right?
0: You created a home. You, you created, created the a home. home. Yes.
4: And that, you know, coming from a space of complete devastation to f- coming out of it feeling worthy, deciding what to do with your assets, what to do with what you're getting, uh, moving on with their life. And a lot of the time, so we do a lot of, when we talk about modalities, we do a lot of, I was training cognitive behavioral therapy, which is analyze and dissect each thought and see how true is it right because a lot of the times we make stories in our brain oh we sure do that's me therefore i'm worthless therefore i'm not good enough therefore so a lot with the capability and the worth it's like when did we feel this way before right so for this client she was the third of four or three boys and she was the baby and she was never good enough she was never smart enough she was they never listened to her. They so she married the same thing. And we work on healing that young person, you know, that young child who wasn't heard, who wasn't capable, who was told she wasn't capable. I'm like, why are you capable? Because I raised three children, because I did own a business once, because I had paid for my own home before. You know, so while it was very memorable, it's also a very repetitive pattern that I hear and that I'm always working with. And it's sometimes sad to put words in their mouth, reminding them why they're worthy or why they're capable or why it wasn't all their fault, even through menopause. You know, it's like, I nag him to death. I was always grumpy. And I'm like, listen, what else could be true? That he didn't know how to follow, how to handle you. He didn't know how to cope with you. Because girl, we all go through menopause, yeah. right? My husband gives me a hug when I'm bitchy. <laughs> you know, he sees me yeah. back and he's like, come here. And I'm like, oh, or he gets me a beer, right? Like, yeah. it's not all your fault. And the relief and the excitement, and I, this was another case. He's like, oh my God, I've been blaming myself for four years. It was so good to hear from a stranger, an objective professional person. He couldn't handle my mood swings. Sorry, I'm going through massive hormonal changes.
0: I think this is so interesting because um, just before you and I taped this, I was talking to our friend, Dr. Elizabeth Cohen, and she was sort of on the other side of the spectrum with her most memorable case, talking about someone who was so, a, a, a client who was so focused on their ex, on everything, and it was all about their ex and the ex had all the power. And this is kind of a shift. In that case, her client was kind of stuck in the victim mode. Here it's almost as if people are turning themselves into they're victimizing themselves, I guess yes. is what I'm thinking, right? It's their internal dialogue that is making them less than or not worthy. And that's not the reality, right? But that's that's what they are in some way doing to themselves which makes it even sadder
4: it is and what is sad is this when we really analyze and challenge each thought it's like that's not true oh my god i can't believe i did all this yeah. i can't believe i achieve all that i can't believe my kids are healthy and contributing members of society that i raised right right that look like him and have their last thing but they came from me so it's like yeah um it's giving, yes, it, that is the saddest thing is, is the amount of, you know, so many of us that are hurting and hurting very deeply to create stories to continue that victimization and that, you know, we're not worthy. And and then, it's, and then the work is really exciting because when they feel worthy and it's coming out of their mind and it's coming out of their mouth and their thought and their gut, like, I deserve this home. I deserve right. this he wasn't for me it wasn't my fault then it's like what do you want to project who do you want to be with tell me about him what time is he waking up on saturdays what what are you guys doing with your extra five hundred dollars a week like and it's just really exciting to see that that empowerment and but yeah that was oh i can see why memorable cases
0: i can see why it would stick out and it actually really goes back to the podcast episode you did on divorce and beyond it's never too early to start healing because think about if you're in that place of I, I'm not worthy I don't deserve this and you are negotiating your divorce think about the disaster that that you know that combination can bring so you know for anyone out there who is listening that is resonating with that concept of I'm not worthy um, you know think about, this is a time to start that healing process now. It may seem like you're going through a lot, but I, I you know, urge you, go listen to that episode with Karen, get the book and just start thinking about healing yourself at, the, at this point. It may be adding one more thing to your plate, but it might be
4: the most important thing you do.
0: Absolutely.
2: So,
4: and that's you, the first step. Oh, always. Identify and it is, the worthy, and then we do deeper healing modalities where I refer a lot of therapists to go heal that unworthy child because they're not eight anymore. They're 65. Yeah. Right. They're not 12 anymore. That you know that brother's not there. Your parents are not there. You're a grown-ass woman and it's time to go get anything you want and thrive. Yeah. Be happy. Right. Mm -hmm. Well,
0: thank you so much. I that is like the perfect Memorable case. I can see why that would stick out for you. Um, and I'm so happy that they found you. So thank you so much, Karen.
4: Thank you, Susan. I'm so honored.
0: Well, now everybody, I am joined by my friend. You remember her attorney? Uswa Khan. Uswa is in Connecticut where I practiced for so long. We actually shared office space for a while. We have been friends for years. She is a longtime family law attorney and a really good one. She also uh, did an episode with, um, uh, with for Divorce and Beyond on how to get a restraining order. It was, was, was last um, position. She was working in a domestic violence shelter in Connecticut that does amazing, good work for people. But unfortunately, she had a lot of it, has a lot of experience and how to help people get restraining orders. So that episode, uh, very necessary episode, very popular episode. Uh, but she's agreed to come back. And thank you so much for coming back as well, because I can't wait to hear, especially since we basically came up in the same courtrooms, um, what your most memorable case was. I wonder if it's one of the ones we had together. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, I'm so happy to be here again and catching up with you. Um it was not one of the ones we had together. Good, Good but it actually. Was, it was. <laughs> who was it? It was Judge Novak, if I'm allowed okay. to say that. <laughs> yeah. In courtroom 3C, back in the corner. And it was my first trial as a first year associate, no second chairing. I was doing it all on my own. I was a, the um, opposing counsel with somebody who'd been doing it for 20 years. So the pressure was on.
0: No nerves <laughs> at all, folks. <laughs> no nerves at all
5: um, my client was a six, four big guy, you know, like picture a trucker. So I had told him, you know, come to court in your church suit. And he did all three days of trial, the same suit (laughs) with with his black work boots. And he was so respectful. And, you know, like he was one of like, he was one of those clients who, whatever you told him, he would just say, yes, yes. Okay.
0: Uh Okay. A dream client, you mean. <laughs> uh,
5: he, he was a dream client. Unfortunately, after two and a half or one and a half day of his wife testifying first, this case, it was a divorce case. They had a little child um, and there were allegations of abuse against my client. And so he, um, you know, when you go on, it's your turn. It's your turn, time to put on your witnesses. So I call him as my first witness. And he takes the stand. He takes the oath. They tell him to say your name and your address. Stands up. My name is. Mm-mm, I live at. Mm-mm. And then, off cue, off script, he goes, "Your Honor, everything she
0: said was a lie." Oh no! <laughs> uh, and I can't make that up. <laughs> no, no, I can imagine. It's your. It's your very. You haven't even asked him a question yet. No, I didn't and I'm blushing
5: now as I'm remembering that incident like 19, 18 years ago. And I I was just aghast and I'm waving like stop, stop,
0: don't say anything. <laughs> Zip it.
5: <laughs> Zip it. But you know what? It was a great lesson that I learned early on because I knew that you have to prepare your witness and you have to know what they're going to be um answering and know what you're going to be asking them but I didn't know that he would go off script or go rogue like this so uh, in addition to preparing him and what to wear I should have sat down and done like a mock um you know maybe a mock interview direct examination mock, yeah mock direct examination and prepared him to hear the things that his wife would be saying against him I knew you know I knew some of the claims and like it taught me he hadn't told me that he had been intimate with his wife for the past six years, because I had asked him, why, why are you guys getting divorced? I don't know. We just grew apart.
0: You didn't, you didn't ask him the specific question, right? And he didn't want I, I to was, talk about his sex life, probably right. with a young female attorney sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I, I was
5: probably too ashamed to ask, like, you know, are you being intimate? Is that a concern. Um, but I think it, it was a learning experience for me.
0: Well, and for him, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, Well, such a good story because I think for listeners, there's probably a few things in that that they are unaware of if they haven't ever been through a trial. Even your divorce, you know, if you're going through a divorce, you may not know this that when you go to court, you are going to spend time with your attorney getting ready to give testimony, because especially in a divorce case, who are the t- we know there are going to be two witnesses at <laughs> least, right? In a divorce right. case, the husband and the wife or the husband and the husband and the wife and the wife. There's always those two people are going to be witnesses. And so when you say prepare your, your client, I mean, we spend hours never telling our clients what to say, but walking them through what the process looks like, right? Because they're on the stand sometimes for hours,
5: Oh yeah. And days even,
0: Yes.
5: you know, and the lesson that I learned was I should have prepared him for what's going to come before he testifies, what might come during testimony. And, you know, we tell witnesses that during cross-examination, you might get, you might feel harassed or, you know, you might get provoked and you have to stay calm. You have to keep your cool. And take one of the,
4: yeah,
5: yeah, take your deep breaths, you know, and if you need time, ask for it. You don't have to answer everything. You can say, let me think about it. That's, you know, it's like the three T's. Think before you talk. (laughs) Take your time to tell the answer and tell the truth. You have to be credible. If the judge doesn't think you're credible, your case doesn't matter.
0: Oh, it does. I mean, you get caught. I've told this to every client. You get caught Mm -hmm. telling one lie to a judge and that judge is never going to believe another thing you say to them. And it doesn't matter what you lied about. People lie on the stand. You and I both have seen it about the stupidest things sometimes. And then when people get caught, they they don't understand. Well, yes, I lied about that, but I'm telling the truth about this. And it doesn't work that way in a courtroom. Once you lose your credibility, you, you've it's pretty gone. much lost it. Yeah. And you know, I know I was supposed to talk about one
5: thing only, oh, but bring it. This, just, this just jogged my memory. Another trial of mine that I had my client, unbeknownst to me, had kept, um, he had gone out and bought $100 gift cards and kept them in his briefcase, which he kept unlocked. So the wife took pictures of all those $100 gift cards. And he had a gold coin collection that he also kept in that briefcase, which he had failed to tell me and we did not put on our financial affidavit. So You can imagine what scathing um, memorandum of decision the judge wrote on that
0: one. I had a similar one where if we're good, let's talk about one of my cases. I haven't done that yet. (laughs) I had the client who got up and swore that she um, had been looking for a job unsuccessfully and talked about all of these things that she had been doing to find a job. And then I sit down and her attorney uh his, the, her husband's attorney stands up and he pulls out of his briefcase, his magic briefcase, her work contract, her employment contract that she had just signed two weeks earlier for $150,000 per year salary, annual salary job, that in that entire direct examination I had done with her, she <laughs> failed to mention. And I had, yes, I had asked her if she had found employment. So people do these things, they lie under oath. And that is, that will always come back to haunt you.
5: Yeah. So never lie and don't
0: call out your wife if she's lying. (laughs) Yeah. Not the first thing that you'd actually, the, the main gist there, right. Is your attorney knows what they're doing. Only answer questions that they ask. We say this to people, right? Like you don't just start volunteering information. If your wife was lying, trust me, Your attorney, attorney Khan would have asked you, sir, (laughs) did you, did you hear your wife say anything that you disagree with? She might have, you know, helped you with that. Um, it doesn't put you in a good light with the judge. And the other aspect I would like people to to know is you need to be honest with your attorney. You mentioned that he didn't tell you what might have been a difficult topic to talk about. We know this sex we, as family law attorneys, we hear probably more about people's sex lives than we ever wanted to know, but there are some aspects that are relevant and you need to share that information with your attorney. And if you can't, you need to find a way, like write it down and hand them a note or give them the information. If you can't have a conversation with them, because it's important I remember Uswa and I when we she um, she also shared office space with my mentor who taught me how to be an attorney oh so many 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 years ago actually decades ago Jim Gentile but I remember Jim telling me um, when we were doing one of our very first like uh, consultations with a client for the very first time and he always asked people to say what is the worst thing that your spouse would be able to say about you? And that is actually one of the most important questions exactly because of what you just said as well, right? You know, that's what's going to come out if people ever get on the stand and your attorney needs to know how to prep you for that and how to work with it or deal with it when it comes out as evidence, right? Right. You don't want a PR nightmare,
5: right? You get ahead of, (laughs) you get ahead of it before having to
0: take this door. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, you so you have to give your attorney the information and the tools to work with and to help you. You're never going to have a perfect case. Have you ever had a perfect case walk through the door where just 100% of the facts were on your client side? Maybe on a default case.
5: And even then you have to make sure that the person is really defaulted. Like, are they yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> a default case is where one side doesn't show up everybody. So yeah, it's easy to be a hundred percent right in those, but when you have both sides, I mean, there's always something that can be, you know, spun to look, you know, the way that each side wants it. In fact, in law school, I don't know if, if in school, but you did this, but I remember in child advocacy class, they'd have you get up and argue one side, of a case. And then you literally walk over to the other side of the room and argue as if you were representing the other side of the case to let, and it may, nothing brings home more how easy it is to spin things different ways as an attorney um, than just arguing uh, something from two different points of view.
5: Absolutely. Yeah. It looks great when it's your case, but then you flip it and you can find the holes, which is, nice that we're able to do that, but we need to know all
0: the facts to, in order we to do that. We sure do. Well, a lot of good lessons, see, in your story. Um, and this has just been such a wonderful uh, opportunity to hear from all of our friends and former guests on the podcast. So, Isla, thank you so much again for joining us and for sharing your most memorable case.
5: You're welcome. Take care, Susan. You too. It's Bye-bye.
0: Okay, moving on to another special guest, another former guest on the podcast. You recognize her if you're watching the video. Lisa, attorney Lisa Koski is with me. Hi, Lisa. Hi. This is going to be fun for all of you who remember Lisa. She joined us to do the episode Doing Divorce Different, and the reason we called it Doing Divorce Different is that is the name of her podcast, Um, and Lisa is a family law attorney. She does uh, mediation and does not have a court practice, right? Lisa, you don't go to court. Yay, no court. (laughs) And she um, also has a wonderful uh, program that she's been doing with people. How's the program going, Lisa? You talked about it in our podcast episode.
6: Everything is going so well, Susan. And I just, it's so, I'm so passionate about helping people work together. And it's kind of about my story today is memorable to me because it taught me so much. So I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for letting me share Oh. What I've learned in my memorable story—I mean, that's the exciting part—and I love
0: that because some of my uh, guests have been talking about cases that are memorable because there were lessons for people going through divorce. But a lot of my professionals are talking about things that they learned from their cases, and I think it's—it's it's an interesting thing for our listeners. Because, you know, hey, we're all learning and evolving as we, we go and grow through our practice. So I can't wait. Let's, let's dive into your memorable case.
6: All right. Well, this is just one of many, but it was kind of when I first started where I was just doing mediations and I had someone call me and um, it was interesting. They had been fighting it out in court for years um and they were older they were grandparents had a really long-term marriage and you know he said we are just so tired we just want to be done with this we want to come to an agreement we want to come and meet with you without the attorneys and then come to you know and then you send it to our attorneys when we agree let's get rid of those troublemakers (laughs) (laughs) and they were tired of the fees and so they just wanted to sit down and talk so i thought great. Yeah, this is going to be great. And like I said, it was kind of a new, new to me, you know, it was in the the early years of my practice. So we scheduled the appointment and they came in and they were a little bit late. And I was kind of wondering why they were late. And this is the thing that's so interesting is he said, well, I'm so sorry that I'm late. I had to pick her up from jail for punching me in the face yesterday. And I was like, oh no. (laughs) And Susan, I almost didn't take the case, which would have been it would have been so such a sad thing for me because I ended up learning so much if I would have said no. But I was so green and I sat him down and I said, "Um, I mean, are you can you communicate? Are you sure this is going to work? And the thing was, was they were both so dedicated to wanting to get it done, that it it worked for them. We did two two two-hour sessions, and it was interesting because another thing that I learned was that when I started out, I felt like I had to kind of be the teacher or the parent and tell everyone how to act and how to talk nice. You know, I would have a little spiel. What I learned was they didn't communicate like I did, and what seemed inappropriate to me actually wasn't to them. So it was a learning experience to let them communicate how they had been communicating, not to be verbally abusive or actually fighting it out. Yeah, no punching in the face. I didn't need that in my office. but. So I learned that that was how they communicated and that I could let that happen sometimes for people to get it off their chest and to communicate how they needed to. Maybe it wasn't the quiet way that I did, but that was just the most memorable case to me. I couldn't believe it. We came to an agreement in two two two-hour sessions and they moved along and we're happy and we're actually Kind And you could see there was a love between them. So great learning curve for me. Oh, my God. Well, think about that. Gosh, this is so, um,
0: you know, so opposite, I think, of what people would think. First of all, I love that he goes and picks her up from jail to take her to the mediation session. Um, but think about so many things in there. Cause so many things jump out at me. One, they had spent years, you said in court and litigating it. And then in four hours, mm-hmm. they brought it to a conclusion. You said two, two hour sessions. Yes. So that just tells you sometimes everything that's going on in the litigation process or the negotiation process, or having other people doing your talking for you, which is what, negotiation through counsel really is, sometimes that's a lot of noise that isn't really getting you to the facts. And then I think it's so brilliant that you realized so early on that everybody communicates in a different way. And we are not there to change that for them unless it's something like no punching in the face, probably a good
4: one. <laughs> that's right. Yes. <laughs> or, or
0: any punching, wh- right. no matter where. Um, but that sometimes we have to let people be the people that they are in the mediation room. We're not there to change them. We're there to help them have that conversation in a safe place um, and in a, in a way that's productive. And clearly it was because two two-hour sessions is
6: amazing. That's wonderful. Yeah. yeah, it was a great, great learning curve for me.
0: Well, and for them, I would expect to imagine... The relief for the two of them, because I, you know, I'm going to just extrapolate here, but there has to be after years of litigation, so much frustration in a couple who just want to be done. As you said, he said they were exhausted and yeah. they just wanted to be done. And you know, the punch in the face or whatever that was. I mean, I can see just fresh, you know, that that bursting out, but they still obviously had that ability to sit down at a table and work things out they just needed the right guide
6: i know and i love that it pushed them forward because they were grandparents they cared they wanted to spend time with their grandchild he did want her set up in a nice home you know they didn't so they actually got to end this you know high conflict divorce with a peaceful outcome and so it was just Kind of magic.
0: yeah, I mean, honestly, I guess they say we don't have a magic wand, but you must have something going on no, over there. I don't know. I think that
6: was a little bit of help from someone above or something.
0: Well, yeah. all good. and good and bravo to them, because you and I both know the longer a high conflict litigation case goes on, the harder it is to get off that track and try something new. So bravo to that couple. I know, I know. that they were willing to try something different. and clearly it was the right path. That's a lesson to you all that you know, it's never too late to mediate. That's actually an episode on the show with Claire Samuels, who's also going to be on sometime yep. soon, everybody.
6: Yes, that's a great one.
0: Yeah. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us for this. I think there's... I mean, listen to all those little golden nuggets that came out of your memorable story. Thank you so much.
6: Susan, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: So now I am joined by our friend, Michelle dempsey Multak. Hi, Michelle. How are you?
7: Hi, I'm good. I love that you're doing this. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Well, I'm excited. And just for listeners who have not met Michelle, I can't imagine you haven't. Michelle is a divorce coach extraordinaire. She is the creator of the Moms Moving On podcast, and importantly... Hello. She is the author of Moms Moving On. She's been on the podcast twice before, once to launch the book and once also just to help you move on beyond your divorce. But Michelle's joining us today because we're going to talk about, Michelle, what's the one case or client that stands out for you and why does that? Why do they stand out for you?
7: So I have a client that I worked with very early on when I first started divorce coaching. And I remember not being able to shut off my fear for her. She um, was not married to her children's father. Um, They split up and he moved out of state. He was somebody who really, really, really liked to get his way. And I don't think he had ever been told the word no. So instead of fighting for partial custody for the twins, uh, he decided to fight for full custody. And this sent my client into a tailspin and because I was so new at this, I was just constantly worried for her. And it was you know, months and months of back and forth, and um, I was working with her to try and figure out a potential you know shared custody schedule that would work with somebody out of state who's is a doctor, works crazy hours. Um, lo and behold, at the end of the day, she didn't lose custody of her twins. He actually ended up with a very small percentage because he chose to move out of the state and then file. Um, and I, you know, I learned very early on in doing this, and even through my own divorce, that just because somebody asks for something, demands something, or says something, does not make it true, does not mean it's going to come to fruition. And I start every new client case or or coaching um, partnership with somebody with that. Facts, like whatever you have in your head right now that you are so fearful of, let's lay it out on the table because 99% of the time, it's probably not going to come to fruition. Uh, The two things I think that in particular men will scare their soon-to-be ex-wives with the most are, if you leave me, you'll never see your children again, and I won't give you a dime. Well, it doesn't work like that. And time after time, now, three years later, this has been proven to me that just because someone says something doesn't make it true.
0: Uh This is I'm so happy that, you know, you told the story and I've been there as a divorce attorney. I remember when I was a baby attorney, you know, clients come through the door with all that fear, whether it's for coaching, whether it's to be the attorney, whatever it is, because the other party knows exactly how to push their buttons. Right. And what are the two things that scare us the most? not having our children and not having enough money to to get by and they'll go for that because they wanna they want to get to you. So that is an amazing tip. I'm sorry that you went through that as a professional because I know how hard it is. Yeah. But look at the amazing lesson that it taught you and that you now pass on to your clients.
7: And it's and it's almost true in every situation of our lives, right? Just because our fear tells us something could happen doesn't Mean it's going to happen, and that's something you know I've learned in therapy. Like the worst case scenario is probably the least case scenario. So,
0: yeah, that's a, it's, I always tell clients if it if it is something that you're really actually worried about, it's almost. Sure, not to happen. Right, exactly. Because we our imaginations are way more wild than what really goes on in real life. So this has been fantastic. I love this tip for everyone and your most memorable case. So thank you, Michelle, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Now I'm joined with by Olivia Summerhill. Hi, Olivia. It's so nice to see you again. Hi. You all, listeners, remember Olivia? Recently, she joined me for a fantastic episode on what impact does your standard of living really have on your divorce? And she really dropped some truth bombs in that one. I think it was, I, I, you know, a lot of feedback from listeners about you know that whole concept of standard of living and maintaining lifestyle after divorce. But now you're joining us. I'm super excited because. Uh, for everyone who is listening, if you remember, Olivia works mainly with ultra high net worth clients. Um, and by ultra high net worth, we mean like people, what, 400 million and above? Like people with. 100 million and above is oh, typical. Oh, just okay. 100 million. Okay. <laughs> you know, some of the low rent districts. So it'll be interesting to hear in that, you know, stratosphere of wealth, what a memorable case has been for you. So uh, I can't wait to hear it. Let us know. Okay. So, I'm
8: a consultant for ultra high net worth women who just need an expert to help them navigate the financial complexities in divorce. So not a lawyer, not a CPA, not a therapist, kind of in this consulting role. Um, My most memorable case would be when I had an ultra high net worth family family. And I worked with the women specifically in the midst of a divorce in Europe and France specifically. And she was really angry at her soon to be ex because of course he is off dating the younger trashy models, um, which is typical in a lot of cases I see, but this one, it was pretty, um, pretty to a different level, right? She was just so, so betrayed and, and hurt and, and angry with him that Uh, When she finally got to meet me, she was not only uncertain about the finances for the past past 15 years, but also had a lot of shame and um, felt insulted by him and betrayed with this um, side, side lady, Uh, lady. yeah, yeah, I don't know how to, I don't know how to respectfully say um, that the words she used were not so, Uh, but (laughs) so she thought of some different schemes of, you know, how do I get back at him? And that's what I hear a lot. And that's a lesson we'll learn um, today is you know what to do in these instances when you have this hatred or this betrayal or or the shame of not knowing the money or not understanding that he was cheating. Um, so she thought of some ways to, to humiliate him during the divorce process, because he's this very controlling, very powerful man in real estate internationally. And she wanted to, to show him something, right? She wanted to, to get back. And So one of the things she came up with is being a barista in one of his real estate empires where everyone that she's known for years and years and years and, you know, is employed by him could see her working as a barista and it would humiliate him um, because he's not treating her well during the divorce. And, you know, they would see that, you know, how she's living versus him coming with his really fancy cars, still coming to work in a different way that she is. So that was one. And then another, did she actually, is,
0: wait, did she actually do that? She got nope. a job. So
8: this is, oh. this oh. <laughs> is the first <laughs> meeting. Yeah. This, so this is the first meeting. I'm hearing all of these things and, and, and understanding where she is emotionally listening to her story and where she wants to go. And this right. is where, um, the second thing she wanted to do is get plastic surgery. I do hear this. And that's why on my podcast, I did have a plastic surgeon talking about divorce. Um, But this is where she wanted to get plastic surgery, meet another man, not only to get back at him, but also because she's terrified of the finances of how do I do this on my own? I have no clue what I'm doing. I haven't been involved. And now all of a sudden in this divorce process, what if he takes everything? I mean, that's a huge fear that's valid. So why not find another rich, wealthy man and, and look young and play the part. Cause she used to be in modeling as well. And she's turning 50 soon. So that's a huge, huge thing that she was going through is, is, should yeah. I go this other route? So long story short, cause there's a few different sessions we had and instead of going through these two things and and imagine, you know, being able to swipe anything on your credit card for years and years and years, and then all of a sudden going through a divorce and potentially not knowing what you're going to have, It made sense where she's at. And and that's why I want to tell the stories because a lot of women are feeling this way. But um, when you can work together, and this is what we did, we worked on money coaching and got to the root causes of her fear and insecurities with money and realized that, you know what, before she actually even got married, she had a really good path going. We can talk about the things that she's really involved in now and really segue into the values of like, what does she actually want in life? Right? So after all of that, she ended up starting her own business. Obviously she did not get the plastic surgery. She didn't go try to find another man. She did not work as the barista because we realized after just a few weeks of doing those things, let's just say she didn't do something that's, not changeable, you know, you can't change after plastic surgery, go back, right. but let's just say she became a barista. Well, that's not really one of her values to humiliate. It's not really one of her values to sit and and do something that she's not passionate about. So um, it's really fun to do what we do. And I'm so excited to hear the other stories, but in this instance, the lesson is, is in high conflict or just high net worth divorces or any divorce, there's going to be high emotions. And looking inward and seeing what your actual values are in life, instead of trying to get back at your soon to be X and understanding that finances create emotions. It doesn't matter what range you're at. You can be a billionaire. You can be a multimillionaire. You can have almost nothing. Um, that's just really what you can take is either get the right team in place or work on yourself and your, your values. So that's what I would like to share today.
0: Such a good point. And I was really like, I was thinking, uh, man, she's creative. Like that is someone who sat she down was, I, She the, was. the barista idea. I have heard. And in fact, I have a plastic surgeon coming on as well oh. soon because that's such a common thing. I think that I have found um that a lot of people when they're going through divorce turn their attention to their appearance and yes and almost as if that's where their value is right like if i yes. instead mm-hmm. of turning it inward but you know so i do think that there's that aspect of it and i have unfortunately heard people out of that fear of not having enough you know at, because of divorce come up with that plan of finding another person to take care of me. Um, And sometimes it's not even conscious thinking, right? I've seen it in multiple
8: places. And this is why this story was so powerful to share because it has all of these nuances together, but usually it's just, you know, one little thing here or there, but that's the one that I hear a lot that people don't really realize that they're, they're really not ready for the love. They're really not ready for the, that whole world. They're just going about it, maybe the wrong way. And that's where the values come in, get together with your own independent finances and getting to know yourself better before you go that path.
0: Well, I, what, what I think you did, you know, from my outsider perspective into your case, I think you helped her take and harness the power and energy she was putting into ways to get back at him and turned it into putting it into herself, Mm -hmm. exploring those Mm -hmm. values. And we talked a lot Mm -hmm. about values um, in, in your podcast episode. Um, but you know, really helping her take that energy and instead of wasting it on revenge or, you know, embarrassing him, putting it into herself. And I bet she's, I mean, if you know it, I bet she's I really happy or happy yes. now and, and fulfilled and has her own business and yes. probably feels great. Mm-hmm.
8: That's yep. That's not every single case is utterly exactly perfect. But this one, it was really cool to see the shift so quickly and actually see that she's doing well, even after so much time. So yes, it's one of those really
0: good cases. Uh, See, that's one of those happy endings that I (laughs) loved here. And this is why it's divorce and beyond (laughs) everyone her beyond happened when she let go of the divorce side of it, when she let that and the revenge and the betrayal and the hurt, Mm -hmm. uh, such valid emotions. And you're hundred percent right about that. But when you can turn away from those and look toward creating a new future, that's when your yes. life starts. Bravo. Good for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love the work that you do. You know, this is, this is really important. I don't think people completely understand the intersection. As you said, I'm not a therapist. I'm not um, an accountant. Mm-hmm. But you're like filling this space sort of in between the two with the psychology of money or finance. And there's- yes such a, such a need for that, whether you are uber wealthy or really are just working to make ends meet, there's still so much motion around that. So I love it, Olivia. Thank you so much for joining us.
8: You're so welcome. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Always. So we're back with Kate Anthony. For those of you who listened to the first compilation episode, you know that Kate gave us uh, one of her most memorable cases, but because she had two really good ones, of course, she's Kate Anthony. I thought I'd have her back to the second one so she could tell you about memorable case number two and the lessons that you can learn from that. So welcome back, Kate. It's good to see you. Uh,
3: Thank you so much. So good to be here. So You know, in the first one, it was more of a happy story. (laughs) This is not as much, um, although it does have a happy ending. Um, And this case is with somebody who was in a very, still is in a very, very high conflict um, divorce with somebody who had some kind of psychotic break. I, I don't know what, there is serious mental illness happening there. Um, and mental disorder. I think, I think there's, you know, I think it's important that we clarify between mental illness and a mental disorder. Um, And he's very, he's very disordered. He's very dangerous, uh, very cunning and conniving. Um, You know, he would leave notes all over the house um, with his strategy outlined, you know, um, the lies that he was going to tell So that she knew, right. He, he was a classic. I mean, really not even classic. He was an extreme gaslighting manipulator Yeah, and yes. And for some reason she was having such a hard time wrapping her brain around the fact that this man that she'd been married to for so long and had three children with had turned into this monster because she didn't see it coming. Right. And she is that one of those very, she's very naive. And so it was very hard for her, very hard for her to wrap her brain around what was happening, uh, despite all of the evidence. And she ended up staying in the house with him, because she was so scared to leave her children. And legitimately so because he was psychologically torturous. Um, he would scream and scream and scream, and she was recording everything he did. And he would. she had recordings of him, you know, abusing the children, oh. verbally abusing the children, saying horrible things about her to the kids. I mean, it was a really scary situation, very scary. But she stayed in the house for so long that in one of our calls, one of our sessions, I noticed that her mental faculties weren't working Uh-oh. properly. Right and she was like there was something that wasn't right like she was there was something not right i can't even describe what it was but i realized you know the 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 thing about gaslighting is that it's not just about someone denying your reality it is about the purpose of gaslighting is denying your reality to the point where you actually start to go crazy, literally go crazy. You are questioning everything and you no longer have a grip on reality. That is the end goal of gaslighting. And that's where she had gotten to. Oh no. And I was terrified and I said it to her because I didn't really know what else to do. Right. And I said to her, I need to tell you that the way that you're speaking right now today has me very, very concerned for your mental and emotional well-being, um, because I believe that his gaslighting tactics have are starting to work on you, and that you're starting to lose your grip on reality. And sh- there was enough left of her right. that she was able to hear it and 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 grab it. She was out of the house within a couple of weeks. And later on, she said to me, if I hadn't, I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't gotten out. And she said, I I don't know what took me so long because once she got out, the fog was clearing and clearing and clearing and clearing. And she was really seeing all of the reality. And she was like, oh my God, I can't believe I was there for so long. And I'm so terrified about what would have happened to me had I stayed a minute longer. Um, you know, and the, and the sad reality and truth is that, you know, the kids are still have to, she, you know, that she still has to share custody with this man, right. um, because he's a master and she will be in a high conflict. I mean, he's so litigious, um, oh. that she will be in a high con- she'll be in court with him for, uh, you know, who knows how many years in perpetuity. It doesn't in end. perpetuity. Exactly. And so, and so the most important thing, that I sort of saw and learned and really sort of got from this was how real the gaslighting is and how how real the outcome can be. And really to help clients who are in these situations get out far sooner than they may feel ready to, because the danger is real. I mean, it's real. Yeah. Well, that, that sounds, was terrifying.
0: Having that lens put up, um, and I think this is a great story for listeners um, because I think people think, well, gaslighting, of course, you're gonna see it. Of course, you know, because it's I know my truth, you can't change my truth. So for you to actually see the effects of it and see it in someone, um, because I've heard that before as well and experienced it myself to a certain degree with that. While you are in it, while you are in these situations, and it's not just gaslighting; it's it's all different kinds of of abuse. But you don't realize how bad things are, right? Um, and and so for your client, thank goodness she had you to be able to bring that that reality. And thank God she had, as you said, enough left in there where she was able to hear what you were saying.
3: Yeah, and the resources to get out. I mean, that yeah. was you know the other thing is that she had family who was willing to support her no matter what and to, you know, lend her money and, and get her out. Yeah. Um, thank God.
0: Yeah. Well, you know? we know that's one of the most dangerous times, right? When someone tries to leave an abuser uh, that is actually, I have an episode with um, Victoria McHughie about how to set your plan out to leave um, in that dangerous time, because it's not something that that is successful usually for most people the first time the second time the third right. time and it's definitely not successful when it's not planned
3: that's right and you know the reason that it takes an average of 7 times for someone to leave an abusive relationship is that you know it's easy to go but it's not easy to stay gone yeah right we pack our bags a million times but it's it's the manipulation that happens after the fact that can be oh you yeah draw us right back in and because as they say we don't want the marriage to end. We just want the abuse to stop. So of course we're susceptible, you know, to being dragged back in. Yeah. I had a friend who
0: did it for years. Um, Her husband just had an alcohol problem. He could not get over and she just wanted him to stop drinking. She didn't want the marriage to end. It's the same, you know, it was so sad because she loved him. She loved sober him. She was right. not in love with not sober him, but you know, eventually she had to to get there. But it was the right. same situation, and you know, so this is a this is, I think, an important lesson in a lot of ways for for people. One of the takeaways for anyone who thinks they are in a situation with a an abusive spouse, a narcissistic spouse, or you know, gaslighting situation, I think is you know, starting to make that plan to leave and getting help. Whether it be, you know, I know you have special training in abuse um, and helping people with um, domestic abuse situations, getting to someone who can help you because it's a time when your defenses and your ability to think rationally and clearly and to know what to do are challenged and and you need help. You need help by design,
3: right? They're yes. challenged by design. That's yes. part of the power and control. This is coercive control. And, you know, it's the, the, the more distance you can get, the more like the clouds can start to part and you can start to see things. But if you're living in the storm all the time, you can't see Anything you're just trying to get through
0: the next minute, not you know, not thinking ahead to where you're going to be a week, a month, a year from now. So that's right. um, You know, I'm hoping to take your the same course that you took on the 40 hour domestic violence training um, because I think it's that important that those of us who work in the family law and divorce arena, relationship arena, have that kind of training. So, bravo
3: to you for absolutely. Oh, thank you. And, and yeah, I, 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 it's a great, I think it's a great program. So I'm glad that you're going to do it too. It's, you know, the more of us that are trained in it, the better, you know?
0: Yep. Actually, I'll get the information from you and we'll put it in the show notes in case anyone listening wants to look into the training. I think it's a great idea.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think, yeah. Like I said, the more people who have it, the better. (laughs) I agree. So
0: Kate, as always, it's my listeners. We love you. I love you. They love you. Thank you so much for joining us for both of our special compilation, most memorable cases, uh, episodes anytime and always. Okay, and now we're going to close out with my most memorable case. And I have to tell you, listeners, I really went through the memory banks. It's been a very long time that I've been practicing. And, you know, I there are actually a lot of cases I could have chosen, like many of our guests um, this week. But the case that I finally decided upon, I really went with more what the message was about the case, although this is a case that clearly has stood out in my memory because it's definitely in my top five most memorable cases. Um, And it's a case where I represented the wife, they had four young children, Um, and it was a case that was really difficult because there was a really intractable problem in that the marital home um, was in a wonderful town. It was across the street, literally from the children's elementary school. They could walk across the street to get to school. It was the only home that the children had ever known. And so it was extremely emotional and important for my client to stay in that home. But what made that difficult is, and this is a case back a while ago, back you know, uh, after 2008 when we had the real estate crash, this was a house that um, oh, they were lucky, there was a little equity in it, but for the most part, it was just a really expensive home to man- maintain. And although they both had a good income, they were both working professionals, we could not come up with a way to make it work financially and we brought in financial professionals we brought in cdfas we were mediating uh, we went to a retired judge in our area and she mediated the case and we could not resolve the issue of what to do about the house and because we couldn't resolve that issue we couldn't resolve the divorce because it was really one of the biggest, you know, issues in that divorce. And they really all the support issues that we were talking about played into, well, how much is it going to cost to keep this house going? And there was no way we could come up with that number. And And I'm telling you, we had so many Professionals involved in that case. And it was hard because these were two really lovely people, four gorgeous little children, and we couldn't come up with a resolution. So we found ourselves, after almost two years, getting ready to go to court for a a trial. And we were going to end up having a trial on. All of the issues, almost we had a parenting plan worked out for the most part, but really all the financial issues were up in the air. And by this time, two years in, the finances were different than when we started or even had been a year earlier because fees and costs and mediation and all of that had cost a lot of money. And I'll just never forget this as we were walking to court that day, I was walking into the courthouse with my client on my side, you know, by my side pulling my boxes of files I'd prepped for this trial. And she started crying on the steps of the courthouse. And I, you know, I said, I know this is stressful. You know, I really felt badly for her. I knew, you know, going into this courthouse, which is where neither of them wanted to be, was so upsetting. And she said, no, it's not that. It's that I've realized, you know, the light bulb's gone off and I've realized we can't keep the house and we have to sell it. And she said, just the sadness around that for me is is so vast, but I realize it. And now I'm also sad because I spent so much time and money just resisting what had to be. And we ultimately went inside. We asked the judge who was ready to hear our case. We asked him for a little bit of time. Uh, we went into one of the conference rooms and within an hour, we had pretty much everything buttoned up um, along the lines of what we'd, we had worked on in that mediation. Um, and it was really hard. It was made even more difficult because my client felt... Guilty and sad. And her husband was, was a little angry that this had gotten to the courtroom door. It was just the amount of time that she needed to process everything. And, you know, the house was the issue in this case, but I want clients to hear the takeaway is really. You have to look at that big picture. You have to look at the peace of mind factor of being done with things. You have to look at whether your emotions are coming from an, or your decisions, I'm sorry, are coming from an emotional place tempered by Facts because things are going to be different for you during the divorce and certainly after the divorce. And, you know, what finally stuck out for me in this case and what I want to leave you all with is not long, well, probably a year after the divorce was finalized, we finalized it that day in court. Um, Not long after that, within a year, I met with that client again. They had sold the house. She had moved into a new home with the kids. Dad had a new home um, that the kids, so everybody was in their new home. The kids um, were doing so well. They were doing beautifully. They loved their new houses. And things had really calmed down, and the emotional content for these two parents had Finally, it had gotten worse for a little while post-divorce because of all the negative feelings that came about. Even though it settled on the courtroom steps, it settled after everyone felt like you know it had taken too long and cost too much money. But in the end, this family survived and the children thrived. Um, so again, I want you all to just sort of catch from this that you need to think longer and harder about what has been and what can be, because just because something has been the norm up to now doesn't mean that it can or should continue. Um, And sometimes changes will have to happen. And the sooner we accept some of those changes, the sooner that we take those into consideration uh, will help everyone to move forward and get to that place of peace of mind and get to your beautiful beyond. So I hope you've all enjoyed these memorable cases from some of your favorite Divorce and Beyond experts. Um, If you have any ideas for episodes, always you can reach out to me at divorceandbeyondpod at gmail.com. I love to hear from you all. And thanks again for tuning in. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com, where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus comments. Content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.